from six on two FM. Yes, big thank you to the two Johnnies for kicking off the weekend in perfect fashion. It is Friday, November 11th. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up this evening, we have a very special FAI Cup final preview. Former Derry City star Garrett McGlynn will be joining us alongside Shelburne icon Tony Sheridan. Two players who have plenty of silverware to their name in the not-too-distant past. Alan Colley will also be chipping in on that chat as well as joining Fergal Brennan to look forward to the final weekend in the English Premier League before the month-long break for the World Cup. We'll have the latest from the Irish camp ahead of Fiji's visit to the Aviva Stadium tomorrow afternoon. And Jane Mangan will have the latest from the world of horse racing as RT Television continues its bumper coverage over the next five Sundays with this weekend in Navan. All that and the latest sports headlines makes up this evening's Game On. As always, if you want to get involved, drop us a text 51552 or tweet us at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Yes, hello there. Good evening. I hope your Friday is resplendent. Alan Colley sitting beside me in studio. How are you, sir? I'm good, Shane. FEI Cup final weekend. FEI Cup Here we final go, weekend. Shane. Here we go. Here I have the go. haircut got. <laughs> I have the new suit in the in the packaging waiting to go. And um yeah, all is good. I love this time of year. I yeah. love this weekend. I love the FEI Cup final. And yeah. you're obviously buzzing because of the Shelburne st- side of things. So it's the most beautiful time of the year. Mm. Most beautiful time of the year. Um we will be chatting uh, with Tony Sheridan, Gareth McGlynn, um, and we'll be chatting uh, League of Ireland playoff as well, because that's on this evening, Waterford against UCD. But before we do so, a couple of news headlines, as always, at the top of the show and game on. Managers around the world continue to announce their squads ahead of the World Cup. Sadio Mane has been named in Senegal's squad despite suffering an injury playing for Bayern Munich on Tuesday. The 30-year-old striker whose decisive penalty kicks won both the Africa Cup of Nations and World Cup uh, qualification for his country this year suffered an injury to his right fibula which does not require surgery and so Mane is undergoing intensive rehab in a bit to be fit for the tournament Spain boss Luis Enrique has called up Barcelona forward Anzu Fati to his squad Enrique has however left out experienced former World Cup winner Sergio Ramos as well as goalkeeper David De Gea and midfielder Thiago Alcantara uh, the lineup for next season's SSE Premier Division will be finalised tonight is UCD and Waterford meet in the playoff final at Richmond Park from 7.45 I know Alan Colley's going to that and Oshin Langan is there for us as well our RT reporter Craig Breen's World Rally Championship season has ended after he along with new co-driver James Fulton crashed out on stage 4 of the Rally of Japan this morning and finally Bally McCarby's Alien Wall has been named Crow Park LGFA Player of the Month award for October it was a memorable month for Bally Mac who claimed a 41st consecutive Waterford Senior Championship title before embarking on a memorable Munster Championship run. Um, yes, I am getting a bit giddy about the FPL Cup final, but before that, it is uh, the big one this evening uh, in Inchicore, Alan Colley, Waterford versus uh, UCD. Waterford, of course, going well coming into this. It seems to be like any time a playoff is predicted when UCD are in it, it's like, oh, sure, UCD have no chance. It'll be the other team that win it, but how do you see this one going? Yeah, well, it's rules reversed from last year, Shane. Obviously, that was the playoff as well, and UCD were the first division team last year whereas mm. Waterford the Premier Division team and now obviously have UCD the Premier Division and Waterford the First Division team so you mentioned it there about the momentum that they've built up Waterford over the last week, few weeks um, and obviously getting to this stage as well and in, in the playoff stages through the First Division but also in their league form they were very, very good as well towards the end of the season. So I would have, have a slight edge towards Waterford and that's not to say I would discount UCD either. I think UCD have performed very well in the Premier Division this year uh, considering they lost their two best players as well in Liam Kerrigan and Colin Whelan earlier on in, at the start of the season. So they've performed very, very well and I think if you were probably to chat to Andy Myler he probably would have taken this at the start of the year because everybody had them tipped for automatic relegation. So they've done well in obviously staving off that but to find themselves in the playoff against stiff opposition I would say in Waterford um, Waterford probably let themselves down a little bit in the semi-final of the cup people expected a bit more from them against Shelburne but I thought Shelburne managed the game really well against them so they'll probably be out to avenge that in the sense that if they can get promotion to the Premier Division they'll be absolutely over the moon with that Absolutely um, and yeah, a host of smashing players so if anyone is in the Inchicore area get down it's a 7.45 kick off one man that is already there is Oshin Langan 
It's the same pairing as last season's playoff final when UCD came out on top. But since that, Waterford FC have gone through a change of ownership and have really benefited from the stability, finishing second in the first division. The roles are reversed for this season's encounter, with UCD fighting the drop from the Premier Division, while the Blues came through the first division playoffs in style, scoring 10 goals in three games. The students have also found some form of late getting victories over Drogheda and Finharps, with a draw against Shelburne in between, meaning they avoided the automatic drop. They may have lost to Shamrock Rovers last week, but that was with a much-changed team. It's Waterford against UCD in the playoff final kickoff at Richmond Park is at 7.45. Ushin Langan, thank you uh, very much. Good stuff. So 7.45 for that one. Uh, lots to come uh, on this evening's show. Uh, we're going to hear from uh, Simon Easterby on all things Irish rugby. Jane Mangan will join us uh, on horse racing. Big day at Cheltenham today, tomorrow, Nace tomorrow, and Navin live on TV as well on Sunday. And uh, we'll chat all things Premier League however Alan Cawley is with me and I can welcome into the conversation both Gareth McGlynn former Derry City star with two FAI Cup uh, Cups I should say to his name and Tony Sheridan who done uh, back-to-back FAI Cups with Shells in the 90s Gareth McGlynn if I come to you first how are you? Yeah very well thank you thanks for having me on No problem at all thank you very much for uh, taking the call Um I suppose if we start with Derry because, you know, Alan Colley probably accused me of, of a bit of bias here with Shells for, for so long. Um, Garrett, <laughs> if, if, if you sum up, I suppose, just in what you made of their season so far, obviously coming second in the league, a cup run that's taken them to the final now, Rory Higgins, a man you know so, so well. I mean, were you predicting this at the, the start of the season that they they go so well? I, I probably wasn't going to be predicting them to get so close to Rovers coming into the, the final straight. Now, they had a bit of a blip in May that probably cost them a real, real challenge. Um, but again, with Rovers, eye off the ball with the European thing. I expected them to go really well, um, but maybe second and, and to confirm it in the last game of the season was probably about right. Um, I mean, Rory, when he came on board, you got to remember a year and a half just over it, they were sitting bottom of the league. The squad was depleted. The squad wasn't strong. Um, you look at the squad now going into a cup final already secured second place I mean Phil Badori will be absolutely delighted with his performance so far Absolutely now gents I do want to get into uh, your personal cup wins and you know let's it's a bit of storytelling as well but Tony Sheridan if I come to yourself first in terms of the current Shelburne season Damien Duff of course so much hype around him since he uh, came into um, Shelburne as, as the manager as well Safety secured, which was uh, goal number one, obviously, and the added bonus of a, a cup final. I mean, it's been a fantastic season so far for Shells, Tony. Yeah, it definitely has, Shane. Uh, you know, the boys have really stepped up this year. Um, you know, with the, the people that are in charge, the likes of Joey and obviously Duffer and Alan Quinn being there, it's helping the team, you know, with that a bit of experience. But to get to a cup final in the first year, and a lot, I think a lot of people thought that Shells could have been relegated this year or in in among it, you know, to achieve what they did this year has been absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, um, Garrett. If we, we we wind the clock back a bit, so you FEI Cup winner in two thousand and two and two thousand and six. Um, I mean, talk us through those experiences. Like that's what I'm really trying to want to get in. Anytime I'm chatting to a former footballer, same with Alan Colley standing across me to get into the head of a footballer. Like what that experience of match day of of going to the stadium. I know um, in 2002 the final was in Tolka Park. I think when you beat Rovers at one nil, and then Lansdowne Road for for the 06 win uh, in extra time against Pats as well. So like you know how 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 memorable were those occasions. Yeah, as a player, and listen, Alan will tell you, Shane, that, that the, the the cup final week, it's it's incredible. It's completely different to the season. It's a completely different atmosphere. You're almost giddy in training. And as a manager, it's very difficult to get that balance between let's enjoy the week, but then concentrate and put the work in for the cup final on, on the Sunday. Um, so the town or the, the city or wherever you're you're from, it's just it's just bananas. There's PR, there's media, and there's a lot of distractions. But to get the work done is the most important thing, and that's what Rory Higgins will be concentrating on. But you said about getting into the, the head of a player. Believe it or not, right? 2002-2006 were, were, were the two ones that we won. But my most memorable, and this will tell you the psychology of a player, was 2000. 
an eight when we got beat by Bowes in the final. Uh, but winning it on the day, I mean, it's it's just pure relief. I mean, Derry City are sitting second now. Uh, a bit like Shelburne, they've secured safety. So Shelburne will have something to, to celebrate, the same as Derry it's come the end of the season. But winning that cup final is just ecstasy. I mean, Derry, it's, it's been eight years since Derry been in a, in a cup final and there's pent up excitement from the town. You've seen that with the, the sales of the of the tickets. Um, there's going to be an incredible 15,000, 16,000 strong crowd coming from the northwest, and um, the players just need to, need to perform now on the day. Why does the the loss stick out? Is it the one the one that hurts? It, it, it is the one that hurts and the one that I mean when you win you know yourself Shane when you win matches you don't learn anything so the loss you're thinking what could have done different what could the manager have done different what could we as a team have done different um, and also t- 2008 it was it was a great season for us and, and it would mean to be to be honest with you the Bose team was incredible as well it was Fenland against Kenny it was in the RDS they were a great team we were a great team I just I just felt that we probably should have won that one and I mean 2006 was crazy in Lansdowne it was blowing a gale it was 4-3 there was goals and extra time it, it, it was it was a crazy final um, and then 2002 obviously Liam Coyle was the winner getting his, his his one and only cup final goal I do want to bring Alan into the conversation just about the whole the whole day and the whole experience because I know Alan's a, a big big fan of the FAI Cup final but but Tony, if I go back to the 90s then, because you only came back to Shells in August 95, and then you go on to win back-to-back Cups in, in 96 and 97, and, and yes, we will be talking about that goal against Pats, but in terms of, of the memories, I mean, what, what what's which one stands out more, 96 or 97? Uh, 96 would have stand out a lot more, because uh, in 97 against Terry, obviously the tragedy of uh, Tony O'Dell's brother yeah. passing away. So, 96 would have been a lot more in my memory. Um, 97, as you said, Derry, against Derry, you know, the build-up wasn't... I don't think both teams wanted to play in it, to be honest with you, uh, with Tony's uh, brother passing away. So, it was a weird experience, 97 against Derry, but, as I said, the one that stood out for me was the one against Pats, 96. So, that, of course, went to uh, the replay... So for anyone who hasn't seen that goal I'm referring to, I think it's it's doing the rounds on social media and Twitter and everything else. So um, it was a, a delicate chip from yourself, Tony. Um, and what people seem to forget is you've done the same against Sligo in the semi-final. That's, that's the one that seems to be forgotten. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> true. Uh, I don't think Alan has forgotten because <laughs> he's a Sligo man, you know, so... No, look, it's it's as as Scarlett said, it's some experience coming into you know. I was looking up to playing three cup finals in the, on the bounce, winning two, and obviously losing against Cork in the in the in the tournament. So the experience going into it and the week, the whole lot is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and that's I suppose. I was at that match. Into, uh, I was at the game. I was only a young kid, um, and it sticks out in the memory. But I hope Tony doesn't mind me saying he was one of my most favourite players to watch in the league as well absolutely amazing player and those goals and Gareth as well was always a, a tough opponent to play against played in really good Derry City side so uh, but that goal in particular yeah if for anyone that hasn't seen it I actually think because the volley he scores in the final is incredible but I think the run and the lob because what people might not even realise and the boys will know from playing in the showgrounds the pitch was really bobbly and hard and mucky and at that time of year it wasn't the summer football and I remember it was almost a challenge just to try and nearly control the ball and then he goes on the run and it bobbles up and he does the lob it was just amazing goal what could do with him Sunday yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damien Duffy if you're listening Cheryl can you, can you get the boots out might be enough what, what was the mindset going into because that 96 final was a replay um, of course against Pats and Shells were down to 10 men in the first match and then you went back was, was it just full of confidence once you, you, you got the replay with 10 men that going into the second match that it was never going to be in doubt to be honest with you, Shane, I'm a firm believer that, you know, your name is on the cup. I know it sounds, you know, not right, but it, for me, uh, that year, her name was on the cup. And to be honest with you, the same feeling that I had in 96, I have for this this year. Okay. And I know it sounds a bit weird, but that's the way I just feel. I don't know what it is. It's, not, it's the same feeling that I felt in 96 when we beat Pat, obviously, in the, the replay. Mm. That... Uh, Shells could do with this year. I know it's uh, going to be a hard uh, task against a good, very, a very good dirty team. 
But I just have that, you know, I don't know what it is. It's a weird feeling that's inside it. And I had, a, as I said, I had it in 96 when we won the cup against Pat. Well, it will be interesting come Sunday. Gareth McLean, what's what's your weird feeling? <laughs> I think Tony needs to lie down for an hour. <laughs> uh, no, listen, I, I, I've been lucky enough to travel there a lot of the away games this season and Derry have actually got more points in Dublin than they have in the Brandywell. So I think going to Dublin for the cup final is, is, is going to do them good. In the Brandywell, I watched the, the two Shells game and I have to say, especially the most recent Shells games about three three weeks ago, Shells were very, very impressive. Their defensive play was ex- exceptional. They played a 5-3-2, which I've never seen that formation being played. And they, they were actually a little bit of a threat as well. Derry didn't know what to do. Um, I think Diallo as well getting sent off recently might actually play into Derry's hands in, in, in the sense that they're going to be more offensive because Rory probably would have played Diallo and Dunmigan sitting as in, in the base of the midfield. He's probably going to have to replace Diallo now with a more forward-thinking player. So um, I can see the squads coming in there. I mean, Tony and Alan and, and, and Shane yourself, you'll know that a lot of cup finals are, are, are kind of one in extra time or towards the end of the game. So I see either Derry winning it late on or, or in extra time. Speaking of Derry's manager Rory Higgins, were you always confident that he'd be be destined for for management? You know, I mentioned at the start, you know him so so well. I, he was, you know, um, when you look around the changing room, you, you're not thinking of him like that when you're playing. But Rory had this kind of natural ability to a network really well. He was always interested, and he was always very close to the managers. Um, even the managers that he didn't that didn't like him or didn't play him, he was always cute enough to try and understand why and, and, and try and get into the head and pick up different different traits from him. Um, I think Stephen Kenny then saw him, he saw Stephen as a bit of a mentor, and that has continued obviously throughout his career. But it's just people say about the student of the game the thing I liked about him he committed very early um, like a lot of the rest of us were going and getting degrees and getting HNDs and qualifications but he had no interest in it he was fully committed to a career in football and, and never really never really went down to coaching it was always going to be the management side um, and his, his, his knowledge is second to none I mean as a player he was he was a quality player and, and uh, he's a very I like him because obviously he's a friend of mine but I like him because he's, he's super aggressive when it comes to substitutions and the way he likes to play Alan both these managers so there's a reason why Stephen Kenny had both of them part of his, his backroom team at the start Yeah absolutely Shane they're so highly regarded Damien Duff his name speaks for himself in terms of his playing career but I think what he's done since he's come into the management and how invested he's become in it as well Shane and he's so passionate uh, lives and breeds it and you can see that on the line and for somebody of his stature and his profile to come into our league and to get so immersed in it I think it's absolutely fantastic and it's so good for the profile of the league and just adds to another storyline a big storyline come the FEI Cup final day when you throw Rory into the mix as well I would agree everything that Gareth has said because Rory I know him also um, and he's the same he's so heavily invested and he he wants to achieve he wants to do well and considering it's his first full season as well with Derry to get them finishing second here they are on the verge of of possibly winning the cup as well it would be an unbelievable turnaround from the day he walked in the door so I think he has a good relationship with Philip O'Doherty as well they'll only strengthen in the off season whether they win the cup or whether they don't they're they're going to strengthen and they're going to try and push Shamrock Rovers next year and the future is very bright for them but I think that's the beauty of the cup with the two storylines that we have Mm. both of them are, are real romantic stories in the sense that the two managers the players that are involved you have Tony and Gareth on speaking about their memories and that is the beauty of the cup and, and it's like no other occasion everybody obviously goes to the league matches every week but I think the cup is unique in itself and, and it's something that's been lost across the water we have never lost the magic of the cup it's still our showpiece day Shane I'm so looking forward to it I can't wait to get in and see it at the weekend like so many and, and I just hope it's a really good game and I think it will be as well Yeah Alan I know you played football recently Garrett in, in the 2000s but but Tony what was it like in the 90s what were the celebrations like celebrating that FEI Cup final and what was it like playing for Shells at the period you did at the period when I played for Shells uh, obviously it was, it was fantastic you know the, it's still the same now we even going to the games you know the fans were absolutely fantastic uh, really come out and enforce especially, especially Cup Week you yeah. know uh, and we didn't have hotels or anything like that I don't think we had the money we, we, we had a marquee on, on Falco Park so that's where we went to when we won uh, our first cup in 96 there was no no banquets or anything it was just back to Talca <laughs> back to Talca yeah back to Talca so a marquee big huge marquee and a, a bit of food and a few beers and that was it really 
I don't want to harp on about this goal, but but is it your favourite that you scored for Shells? I was always always curious about that. My favourite, no, the one as Salad said, the one in Sligo, because uh, See? it would have been it would have been a you know a, a, not a winter's night, but a, a cold, mucky night up in the showgrounds, and as he said, the pitch was bubbly. Yeah, and you know I said it to him before, to, uh, before you know uh, Richard Borton should have inter- intercepted the ball. Yeah, and lucky enough it came to me and I just kept running with it and I could hear John John Kenny breathing down the back of me now and I just said oh, I'm just going to have to hit it you know so that would have been the best goal that I would have scored important goal I would have scored, uh, scored for Shelts yeah we, we won't mention the one that you shinned in in the cup final eh? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> am I right in saying Garrett your, your first goal was against Shells uh, that that's right. Uh, we drew three all. Um, Dermot Keeley said uh, Pizza had signed for Shells the year before he had left us, and that was my first. Uh, it was a three all draw, and, and at that stage, listen, Shells were flying at the top, and we were down around the third, fourth, bottom. Um, but how uh, we drew three all, and uh, it was a great game. Pizza, of course, Peter Hutton for uh, for our listeners there. Oh, one, one, yeah, of the, of one of the better <laughs> League of Ireland nicknames. Uh, that right, but there was certainly a bit of a rival between Derry and Shells and, and the Ollie Byrne days as well when when Peter Hutton made that transfer. But you know, there, there's always been a bit of a, a bit of a, a bite between the two clubs. And now I know I completely have to state that in terms of in '97 that completely subsided and the whole um, football family for want of a better phrase and all of League of Ireland came together with with the passing of Tony O'Dowd's brother of course who w- went on to play for Shells when um, they ma- r- remarkably came back from the brink of extinction and, and Damer Cady cobbled together a, a team in, in 07 as well so but but in terms of, of Derry and Shells it, there's always a bit something Garrett isn't there? There was, but I think it it, it, it was there was always there, but it really came to a, a, a head that that the year when when shells were going really well. They had the European run with we, we Deportivo, and we were flying in the league as well. We had a great team. It was early on in Stephen's tenure, um, but there was always a bite, always a bite between. And then the the, the final, obviously the League Cup final that went to penalties and the brand well. It, it always and, and that was in the League Cup now. But we've always seen to get each other in the cups, whether it be in finals or in, or, or, or in the semi finals. Obviously, they're always hard games um, and always very competitive. Tony, what's your memories of, of playing against Derry, against Derry City specifically? Yeah, I love playing against Derry, to be honest with you, over the Brandywell. Uh, you know, playing against the likes of Liam Coyle, obviously, you're talking about Peter. Uh, some great players, you know, and the battles that we had was fantastic. But I love playing, as he said, Brandywell would have been one of my favourite grounds to ever play in. Used to look forward to going playing against Derry up there. Why is that? It's just the, the fans, like you know, uh, the the surroundings of the ground. It was compact then, you know, so the atmosphere would have been absolutely, absolutely fantastic as well, you know. So that's why I enjoy playing up there. The dressing room was the best, but we won't complain about that. <laughs> I don't think what, what dressing room was decent in the nineties. As Gareth mentions that rivalry we had, I played in the cup match against them and we went on to win the league but in the, I think it was it could have been the quarter final and it went to a penalty shootout and unfortunately Shane I missed the penalty oh. they got us knocked out <laughs> well, I'm honest enough to admit that it was the only penalty I ever missed I know. it was an important one I, I think actually I, I've, I, I think I've, I've saw Shelburne play up in the Brandywell I'd say four or five occasions mm. and that included two penalty shootouts and I never saw them score a goal yeah. <laughs> well you look at them obviously went into the, the don't game go, and, don't go Sunday <laughs> and you look at the game at the weekend and Gareth mentioned the fact that Derry are good away from home and they're very good that's because I think the pitch kind of um, affects them at home I don't think they like the pitch and especially the way they like to play but you mm. look at Shelburne as well the good result that they had against Derry was in the Brandywell and they picked up a draw also Shane so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out I would agree with Gareth in the sense that Shelburne are very defence minded and the, the set up with the five at the back and they almost have two sitting in front with uh, Coyle and JJ Lunny and it's up to Derry almost the pattern of the game I, I think they'll have th- the lion's share of possession it's up to them to try and come up with the ideas to break them down with the likes of a Duffy McElhenney I think Patching will start now because Diallo suspended as well I'm not sure whether he would have started had Diallo been fit because he would have played Diallo and Dummigan and possibly McElhenney but I'd say he'll have to go Patching now um, so yeah the subplots to it all in terms of the, the tactical side of things I think will be really interesting and Shells as, as Gareth mentioned are a real threat on the counter attack as well now I know there, there's no Maddie Smith and he was brilliant in the semi-final but Boyd is 
has been a handful all year for all sorts of different teams and, and he, again I think he'll be a handful on Sunday so um, the games in, in the, the both games that Derry have won against Shells as well there was only one goal in it mm. and also the night Shelburne beat Derry there was only one goal in it so they're very very tight affairs I know there's a big gap in terms of the points difference in the league but I think all that goes out the window going into the game Sunday and, and the four games they've had are very very tight Yeah, late goals in Tolka Park as well right gentlemen I'm going to go round the, round the houses now and uh, ask for score predictions Tony I'm going to start with you first because you've already uh, you've already uh, revealed that Shelburne are going to win because you're you, because of your weird feeling which is, which is <laughs> only half six we won't go more, more into that but um, so I'll start with yourself score prediction please Tony Sheridan 1-0 Shells 1-0 Shells Alan Colley uh, Derry on penalties Oof, okay a lot, well, a lot of finals have been settled in penalties uh, of late as well uh, Gareth McGlynn score prediction Derry Derry they win 2-1 in extra time 2-1 in extra time okay listen I cannot wait it all uh, kicks off on Sunday in the Viva Stadium 3pm kick off tickets still available uh, it's going to be a cracker of a day Tony Sheridan thank you very much Gareth McGlynn thank you very much as well Alan Colley thank you very much you're going to be sticking around because we're going to be chatting Premier League football with Fergal Brennan in a few moments time stick with us here in Game On 2FM Game On Football Well you're very welcome back to a Game On as we continue our soccer chat Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan uh, joins us now as well to look forward to the final weekend of the Premier League before the World Cup break it's it's weird even saying that even though I knew it was coming for, for so so long uh, Manchester City Brentford is the early kickoff on Saturday host of 3pm kickoffs Newcastle Chelsea's at half five Wolves Arsenal 7.45 and on Sunday uh, Brighton Villa is at 2pm and Manchester United are away to Fulham at half past four for uh, where to begin um, I suppose Manchester City and the extra dimension that Jack Grealish has given them I suppose was a standout looking into this and, and I suppose we touched on it briefly yesterday with England's um, World Cup squad being announced and everything else that Manchester City somehow Fergal Brennan aren't just a one man team No uh, and we saw that in the little uh, couple of games where Erling Haaland didn't play that they were still getting points they were still getting through and they've still got Kevin De Bruyne, who's probably the best midfielder in the world, and they've got a squad absolutely stacked with talent. Um, I was reading something this morning. They're the most impacted by the World Cup. They've got 16 players away in Qatar, so they'll be wanting to sign off with a positive performance this weekend at home to Brentford. I think I've said it quite a few times that at home, Man City just don't tend to stumble, whether it's Haaland again or De Bruyne or Grealish as you mentioned or or someone like that and, and Brentford are in that list of teams that need the World Cup break it's not been great it's not been dreadful for them this season but it's certainly not been great particularly when you look at how they were last season um, Haaland will be hunting to maybe get himself up to 20 Premier League goals before the break he'll more than likely get 20 Premier League goals before the end of the calendar year um, this looks like a banker for City um, but just England fans, Belgium fans, any any nation that's got a Man City player in it will be watching this and praying for no injuries. Absolutely. And Ireland fans as well be praying for no injuries because Haaland, yeah. we're not sure if he's if he's going Come to be on. at the Viva Stadium. Uh, Alan, um, I think his manager was saying he's going to play one match. One, yeah, and we're hoping it's the Irish one. Yeah. For all, well, my little fella is certainly hoping it's the, the Irish one or Absolutely. else it's Finland on Sunday. Um but I think that's the overriding kind of feeling and emotion going into the weekend is the injuries because you look at Mane mm. during, during the week as well and I know I know he's been named in the squad but um, that's that's almost depressing to think that players are, could miss out the potential of playing in a World Cup shame because obviously you pick up a niggle tomorrow an injury and, and you don't have time to recover so um, I just wonder will some of the players have one eye on that and I know it's a very difficult thing to do because when you're in the heat of battle I almost sense if you're going in with that mindset or going in with that, that attitude you would end up getting injured mm. so if you're going in full throttle you should be fine hopefully if that's the case and you'd be looked after that way but um, I definitely think some of the players who obviously got picked in the squads during the week will have one little eye on that I think Man City like, like Fergal said cannon fodder these games for them especially at home against the likes of Brentford one win in their last nine as well Brentford so uh, Thomas Franks I wouldn't say he's under pressure at all he's, he's he's done a brilliant job since he's come in but he probably does want that break to come with the World Cup and just freshen things up when they come back yeah absolutely uh, I suppose this manager narrative that it, that isn't going away and I agree about the injuries as well there and I suppose that's always the message to, to young boys and girls playing it's like go in full throttle or you might get yourself hurt so you know in, in, in all sports really um, yeah Thomas Frank probably a bit early to to say if he's going to be under pressure he's done a wonderful job at Brentford and their new 
their their way of of playing football. I don't and, think he's under pressure at all. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't don't mean it like that. No, I know, but yeah. in in terms of of their whole setup and how Brentford operate, of course, you know that whole different way of thinking, getting rid of the academy system mm. and so on, and and how they bring bring players uh, through. Um, New manager bouncing at Anfield. This it's hard to predict. Alan Carley, what's what Liverpool will will show up, but um, they were stung by I suppose the element of surprise when when they um, drew with Brighton, um, and then didn't know really what happened. But now they're playing uh, Southampton, albeit uh, in Anfield, three p.m. And Southampton have a new manager, Nathan Jones, and an Irishman helping out Nathan Jones as well Alan Sheehan as well as yeah. the, the coaching ticket so uh, good to have a nice Irish connection in the Premier League Yeah absolutely yeah. and it's good for Alan Sheehan as well to be to be obviously involved in that level of football and to be challenging himself but I think Nathan Jones comes highly regarded he's done a good job at Luton uh, to be fair to him so tough ass though going to Anfield on your opening day um, start with your new club and I think from Liverpool's point of view as well they'll want to sign off with a victory just to be hanging on the coattails of those Champions League places it's been so up and down for them uh, um, it's hard to put your finger on it really Shane like we've we've discussed it long and hard over the course of the season and, and just when you think they've turned the corner bang they let you down again with a disappointing result or the likes of the Leeds one that time but they did beat Spurs last weekend I felt towards the end they were hanging on a little bit but the first half they were very very impressive so again Klopp will be kind of like most of the managers he'd probably be welcoming the, the break mm. when it comes and once the players are, are obviously coming back fit and well uh, that's the, the major prerogative for him but I certainly think he might welcome the break because I'm sure he's scratching his head as well when you think of how good Liverpool have been over the last three or four years and they still bar probably man of all the all the players still there the, the same personnel it's probably difficult to put your finger on it from his point of view just where things have gone wrong but I think they'll want to sign off and I think they will sign off at a victory against Southampton tomorrow Yeah I was watching the League Cup drop the, or the Carabao Cup to give its uh, proper sponsor's name like the World Cup finals on the Sunday and then the Carabao Cup is back on the Tuesday or Wednesday I mean it's yeah, I, I, th- I think it's a disgrace it. what's going on Shane and I, I'm on about the injuries there as well like whoever came up with this idea and I know it's been spoken about plenty in places it, it's it's so unfair on the players like it's absolutely ridiculous to have a World Cup the most prestigious tournament of them all mm-hmm. and for what people work hard for to represent your country and go and play in a World Cup and how seldom it might happen for certain players and for them to be playing games every three days since since August and here they are being just thrown into a into a, um, a World Cup now being run off over the course of a month and as you say as soon as the World Cup final is over you're back into the league games as well it's an absolute disgrace what's going on to the players Is this going to diminish the, the Premier League? Do you, might there be player burnout? Might people might fans as well be, be burned out by the amount of football on offer Fergal? Potentially I mean I think depending on your perspective of, of Qatar host, hosting the World Cup you'll kind of manage how much football you're going to watch over the next month or so but I think Christmas, New Year traditionally in the Premier League there's always a huge amount of football on but it is putting in massive load on the players I completely agree with Alan when you look at the Carabao Cup coming back 48 hours after the World Cup final where you could potentially have players not they're obviously not going to play in both games, but in terms of the clubs that they're registered with, they they could be allowed to play in both games. That's absolutely nuts. Um, and I think we are going to see real issues with, with player welfare. I know there is a week break in January for the Premier League, but that means nothing. If you're, if you're going away now to play for your national side, potentially going all the way through the knockouts, then coming back into a really difficult Premier League run, Christmas, New Year, January, the FA Cup, the League Cup, then you've got the Champions League coming back in February. It's, it's huge. And those numbers of players that are going away from the big sides, 16, as I said, with City, 15 with United, 12 with Chelsea, 10 with Spurs. These are the bulk of their first team. It's not a handful of players going away. This is the heart of the best teams in the Premier League being ripped out, sent off to Qatar for five or six weeks, and then brought back and told, we'll give you a few days off, but really we expect you to get back in full throttle and push on in the Premier League. And and that's absolutely mad. Mm. It's not on, Shane, to be honest with you. It really is. And I know, look, we're all fans and we'll be glued to it. I'll watch every match of the World Cup. Here I am giving out about it, but I'll watch every match. (laughs) And as soon as the games come back, you'll be glued to them all. But I just think in terms of, and I've noticed this in the last couple of weeks, when we watch the big teams and the big games, or, or all games really, 
you want all the players who are elite athletes performing at their, their best of their, of their abilities when you look at them playing every week in the games and I think from a, from a spectacle as well from our point of view fans tuning in I don't think we're getting that at the moment I think we're being shortchanged in terms of you look at some of the players they look a bit tired it, like it, it can only like you just think about it try and play three matches or, three, or play a match every three days it's just not on Shane you know no. and at some point it has to take its toll on, on the players and I think we're seeing that now in the games recently Absolutely. Well, it will be interesting to see how the World Cup plays out and how the Premier League uh, recuperates uh, from that as well, that deluge of uh, football. One topic, actually, that struck me today, gentlemen, that I do want to pick your brain on. Um, There was an article in the Guardian newspaper. Uh, Ewan Murray had an interview with Martin O'Neill who has an autobiography out at the moment as well. And uh, the article read, There are already murmurings in the Republic of Ireland about Martin O'Neill's autobiography. On days like these, which charts five decades in football, signs off with a withering takedown of Keith Andrews, Stephen Kenny's assistant with Ireland. Stephen's lieutenant finds himself in a hotter seat in the dugout than the one he occupied in a TV studio when he was uh, a critic of mine, O'Neill writes. The seven-year-old knows fine well what the response has involved. I'm bitter, O'Neill says, during an extended conversation with the Guardians, Ewan Murray. So I'm not allowed to defend myself. Nobody likes criticism, but I think in my career, for the most part, I've taken it reasonably well. Well, was the criticism over the, over the top on Martin O'Neill, Alan? No, I, like I, I saw these comments and I read the article and um, especially the criticism towards Keith Andrews and Martin O'Neill has been a very successful football manager and he was a very successful player when he played as well. He's at the stage now in his life where obviously he came in um, and there was huge fanfare around his appointment. You have to remember that, Shane. He was welcomed in here with open arms. People were delighted. They thought it was a really good appointment. And with Roy Keane coming in on the ticket as well, everybody was absolutely overjoyed with, Mm. with both of them coming in. And there was good times and there was good moments and qualifying for the Euros. But then where he speaks about the criticism and he almost felt like an outsider as well he was some of the quotes and Mm. um, I never got that sense and I covered all the games I was at all the games under his tenure what what happened really was when I felt that people began to turn against Martin O'Neill and not just him personally, but I think the team and it was it was the style of football and how bad and how desperate it was. Then he was always talking to players down, Shane. Always he always there was negative connotations in every interview that he did. Then there was the interviews with Tony where he came across so badly and so petty and childish and tetchy. And here he is now writing an autobiography. And I know you have to sell books and mm. sell a story, but at the stage he is in his life and he's still going back to comments that Keith Andrews made in, in his studio. And I'm glad that you you read out the quote where he said, I'm bitter because that's how it comes across to me that he's very bitter a very bitter man and and it's uncalled for because I definitely think he was welcomed in here with open arms Yeah another quote that that struck me Fergal if it comes to yourself uh, was one where Martin said I think they felt there was a level of arrogance and conceit about myself it just never worked almost from day one now he does go on to say I I deserved criticism but it was an absolute outpouring the gates opened it was an actual playoff game for the World Cup after a group where we were fourth seeds and that of course is the um, in relation to the match against Denmark as well that Mm. Christian Eriksen inspired Denmark uh, performance I mean was there a level of mistrust Fergal in your opinion? To an extent, I think that the style that Martin O'Neill operates within, if you compare that to Stephen Kenny now and his relationship with the media, he's very open, he's very affable, he gives measured answers to questions about his plans for the team, he accepts the criticism that's come his way. With with O'Neill, that wasn't the case, but there was, there was always this trade-off of if results are relatively positive, if qualifications are realistic prospects, obviously the the positivity of getting to Euro 2016, and we all remember how good that was. I was there that night of Christian Eriksen's demolition at the Aviva, and it was, it was horrible, but you get the situation that Martin O'Neill found himself in. I just listen to these quotes, or read these quotes rather, and I think for all the good points he makes, there's still a bit of an element of the old boys club and he, he's quite personal towards Keith Andrews and Keith Andrews in some of this where he kind of hints at a bit of a show us your medals type of attitude because he's basically picking on Keith Andrews's career as a player as a coach as a pundit etc and saying you know you're entitled to your opinion but ultimately I've got a better CV so thus my opinion is worth more and I think for all the positivity that, that Martin O'Neill brings when he is talking about football and his time managing Ireland, and it's a similar situation with Keane, there's two or three steps in the right direction and then 10 in the wrong direction because this idea of 
medals and CVs and experience as a player, etc. I think we're starting to move beyond that in football. When you see some of the top level managers now may or may not have had a fantastic playing career. And he doesn't directly come out and say that about Andrews, but that's the insinuation with a lot of these comments. So I think to kind of circle back to when you were saying about being disrespectful towards him, I, I don't think there was. I think towards the end... From both sides, it started to get very nasty. I think particularly with the media, he was very short and very snappy, particularly when he was talking after a defeat, which is natural. But it it seemed to get very, very, very sour as things started to go on. And then the end of his his tenure was ultimately marred quite negatively. The, The fantastic summer in France seemed a long time gone when you think back to getting hammered by Denmark and then just kind of... I don't know, just kind of a bit of a drab end. And then obviously Mick McCarthy coming in, which didn't inspire a lot of confidence either. And now we're in a situation with Stephen Kenny where there is lots of positivity, but we're not qualifying. Regardless of that as well, Shane, I think people will respect and appreciate the fact that Martin O'Neill was one of the few managers to get us to a major tournament. And we were great in that Euros. Mm. Um, And I think fans still look back on that and they they would always respect him for that. You know, so the way, and I agree with Fergal in a lot of what he said, towards the end where it did sour, sometimes that's just the way things can go with football as well when obviously results are going (coughs) pear-shaped in the night against Denmark when it was really, really bad. But I think overall, and I think he, if he... If he sat back and reflected himself, I think overall it was it was he was he was welcomed with open arms, as I said. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, final question: I'll Leave the last word to yourself, Fergal, because Al, you're sick around for a bit of horse racing. <laughs> uh, one of the Martin O'Neill quotes was: "Could I manage at the top level? I don't think those things leave you. The spirit, the determination, the passion, and drive. My last breath in this earth is when those things will leave me. Can you see Martin O'Neill back managing at the top level, Fergal? No, no. I think uh, he has he has had a very good career. He's had success as a manager, but I think. Football has moved on a bit. That's not to be disingenuous to him, but I think football at the very highest level has moved on. No, if managing a top Premier League side or managing in the Champions League, no, I I couldn't see O'Neill doing that. Okay, yeah, no, I tend to uh, agree with you there. Okay, Fergal Brennan, thank you uh, as always. Great stuff, really appreciate you uh, taking the call. Al, as I said, you're sticking around for horse racing uh, with Jane Mangan and also Simon Easterby uh, is going to be chatting all things uh, Irish rugby, of course, the uh, coach there. Game on. Rugby. Now, as promised, uh, defence coach of Ireland, Simon Easterby, was up in front of the media today and the uh, discussion began about what was the general feeling within the Irish camp? Yeah, yeah, everyone's in good shape, excited about the challenge tomorrow and yeah, everyone came through the uh, captain's run. In terms of the game tomorrow, it's important that last week is the new base camp that you use that as a kind of starting off point for this week and indeed next week. Yeah, last week was a brilliant performance against you know a, a fantastic team, but we know we've got to get better and keep getting better. And uh, I guess this week has allowed us to, you know to to move the team around a little bit, but not not you know not rip it up. And, and you know it's important that those guys coming in have uh, have a strong uh, spine and unit around them. But you know we we want to keep getting better. We have to. You know the game moves very quickly at international level, and you know need to stay a step ahead and, and need to keep challenging ourselves to to get better. It's a bit of a balancing act, isn't it? You know, trying to use this window to give people an opportunity, but you've got to keep winning matches as well. Yeah, like I say, and that and that's part of the reason why we have got guys coming in for their first caps. But we've also got a really strong spine of the team, which which is is crucial for continuity to give those guys that are coming in, uh, you know, platform to come performing in a, in a good team and and an experienced team. And I think that's. Hopefully we'll see that in the performance tomorrow. It's important that you know, we have done all week is we've given attention to Fiji like we would do any team. You know they are a really exciting team to watch if you know if you're giving them time and space and then you're not actually on the pitch against them. But when you're on the pitch, you make sure that you you shut down the space and don't give them the sort of space and time that that uh, allows them to be to be world class at what they do in terms of one on one rugby and, and offloads and and shifting the ball. So. We have our plan and, and uh, you know, we need to make sure that we, we try and put that into practice on uh, both sides of the ball. Now, their head coach is Vern Cotter. Um, we're well aware of him, obviously. He's been involved with Scotland before. He's kind of slightly unusual in the sense that he's a Kiwi with a sense of humour. And he's is suggesting that um, this is a training exercise for Ireland. All your eyes are on the Australia match next week. Well, we can, we'll, we'll wait to see what the performance brings. Yeah, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek from Vern. You know, he's, he's maybe trying to motivate his own players. 
our players don't have don't need any motivation in terms of our preparation has been as good as it as it would be for any international game. We have huge respect for for them, their coaching group. They're able to mix it now in in the set piece and, and also their ability to play free flowing rugby if you allow them to. So. The players have been brilliant at making sure that we've invested time in, into what we're going to be good at, but also in understanding what they, they could be very good at if we allow them the chance to do that. And, and also you know, the opportunities that, that might present themselves if we get our game right. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into those comments. Um, you know, we'll, be, we'll be ready to go tomorrow and we'll have prepared the same way as we do for every game. We're in the bowls of the Aviva Stadium, the old Lansdowne Road. You remember the excitement gone through your system when you were making you know your debut for Ireland those years back so you can understand where Jeremy Lockman you know Jack Crowley and Keane Prendergast are today less than 24 hours away from 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 playing for Ireland for the very first time yeah it yeah it doesn't uh, and it should never not excite you about putting on a green jersey but for the first time the international jersey it's a special special day and and I think they've um They've been really well supported this week by by the players. They'll have emotions flying around in terms of families and and loved ones, uh, close friends who have been on that journey to this point with them. Um, and and I guess what's been said by the other players in particular is that, that we want to make it a special day for them, a special day for Ty being captain, and and understand how how the performance will will allow them to remember this day tomorrow for the for the right reasons. You know, you know, they're all super excited about the opportunity, but performance at the end of the day is is what is what's got them here, and they need to make sure that and the rest of the players will do uh, to support that to, to hopefully get get what they want from the game and and remember it for the right reasons. And just a final question, including the match tomorrow, there are only ten games left before you play your first game in the Rugby World Cup. There are very few opportunities for players in the wider squad, and there's what fifty odd there at this stage. When you are presented with a chance, you've got to make an impression. You've got to do yourself justice. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's 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 definitely the case. The the opportunities are getting less and less, and and I guess that's why we um, we try to increase the opportunities through the Maori games, through the Emerging Island, the A game, and and yeah, this this one tomorrow, you know, full senior international uh, test, and for I guess those guys making their debut. It's it's 100% a brilliant opportunity to, to you know to, to prove themselves as much as that they belong here and and the international rugby is for them you know to show their peers and and be the best teammate they can be and and um, so that it makes it hard for us to to select them moving forward and and that's all we can ask for as a coaching group. So Simon Easterby, Easterby even chatting to RT Sports Michael Corcoran there Ireland against Fiji uh, an earlier than usual kickoff time tomorrow of 1pm so radio coverage uh, starts out in Radio 1 Extra from 12.55 and there'll be live commentary from the available coverage and all wavelengths from 2pm Game on Racing However, it is Friday evening, so time to turn our attention to racing in the company of Alan Carley, who's still live in studio. And Jane Mangan joins us now. And Jane, before we preview uh, the weekend's racing, I suppose uh, we should review Cheltenham today. Yeah, it's been a good day. It's been. I wasn't expecting the Irish to make too much of a, an impact today. It didn't seem like we had any real top horses there but Sweet Will won the opener for Kieran Buckley and, and Gavin Cromwell and Contraposto gave us a, an opener and a closing win Contraposto beat Explosive Boy so Ireland had a 1-2 there Michael O'Sullivan and a great win for trainer Dick Donoghue in the closing race at Shelton today ahead of what could be a very big day for the Irish horses tomorrow So what is on the cards tomorrow? What stands out I suppose looking at that race card Paddy Power Gold Cup 220? Yeah, big handicap chase, you know, the, these big valuable handicap chases, they like putting the, the label Gold Cup on them, but what they really are is just big valuable handicaps <laughs> that are sponsored by bookmakers. And uh, the favourite is, or likely favourite is French Dynamite Mouse Morris. He's he's a real target trainer. And this guy won a hurdle race at Thurless earlier in the month. And um, he looked like a horse that was well handicapped over fences and they're going to target this big pot with him. Darrow O'Keefe is on board and he will take a lot of beating. Stolen Silver, Il Rodoto, Midnight River. There's plenty of horses with chances from across the water, but Irish runners don't have a great record in this race. I don't think we've won it since the late noughties with Tranquil C and Edward O'Grady, but this guy, trained by Mouse Morris, has to be in with a really good chance. You've got the Arkell trial as well tomorrow. Mon Morale and Tommy's Oscar probably lead the home team for Paul Nick. 
But Banbridge, remember him winning the conditional riders race at Cheltenham last year. JJ Slevin is aboard and was aboard him when he was a winner over fences last time. And he looks like he's taken to that discipline very well. Simon Torrens is aboard. Noel, uh, Norman Lee's storm, uh, sole pretender in that race. Not without his chance. He'll have more experience over fences than most. The handicap heard at 3.30. Tony Martin in a handicap. You have to take note. Unanswered will have a good chance in that for Peter Carberry. And the mayor's bumpers, where the mothers are double-handed. Williamstown dancers in that for Willie Mullins. And uh, kiss uh, my lucky egg for Emmett Mullins. But I think they're up against it, against the, the Nicky Henderson filly in that. But, Shane, we have a lot of uh, domestic action this weekend as well. Jane, before Shane gets to the domestic action, can I just ask you about, we've seen a really prof- pro- professional and impressive performance from Hermes Allen. And I was think I was reading a stat where Paul Nichols now has 17 winners out of uh, his last 32 runners in the month of November. You look at, obviously, the success that he's had over the years, but it's been a while since he's had that kind of really top-level success because of the domination with Willie, I suppose. But is it a good thing for the sport if we see Paul Nichols and especially, I suppose, the English fraternity, if see him coming back to that kind of level of success? Oh, yeah, we want to keep it interesting. Mm. And he absolutely trounced the, the field today in a grade two. But I would say Paul Nichols is noted for having his horses fitter earlier in the season than everybody else. And then everybody else kind of catches up. Every, everybody else being Nicky Henderson and Willie Mullins. Uh, similarly over here in Old Mead and Gordon Elliott are renowned for getting their horses rolling earlier before the Mullins steam train starts to really gather momentum. But there is no doubt Hermes Allen has considerable ability. But don't you worry, Alan. Our troops are yet to fire. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear, Jane. Thank oh, you. absolutely. It's very, very good to hear. Um, yeah, so let's finish then with uh, some domestic action then. Nace tomorrow and uh, the RT cameras will be in Navin on Sunday as well, Jane. Yeah, so Nace tomorrow, Fishery Lane is the feature race there. Probably a disappointing field of five, but field or Gordon has won it the last three years in a row and he looks like he's probably nailed on tomorrow. Although he has to concede a nine-pound penalty, the grade one penalty to Brazil, the Fred Winter winner of last year for Podrick Roach. But that is the, the feature race at Nace tomorrow. Uh, the Poplar Square is also a very good race, gentlemen to me again has to concede a grade one penalty after he won at Aintree over fences to Course Sublime who's quite a good horse in that chase tomorrow three stripe life and grand jury also of interest in the beginner's chase tomorrow so all eyes on Nace tomorrow but Navin is where the RTE cameras will be on Sunday we're on air as we have been at Down Royal last weekend and for the next five Sundays at one ten, and uh, the Lismull and Hurdle is just a brilliant race. Nine runners, it's a grade one in nature, not in name. Flooring Porter, the two-time stair champion over hurdles, is back. Bob Ollinger, the horse that was a brilliant Ballymore winner back after winning over fences last year but hadn't really taken to that discipline as well as many expected he would. He reverts to hurdles. Sarah Duberley, a previous winner of the race. Ashdale Bob Zanahir stepping up and trip. There's so many layers to the Lismullen hurdle this year. It's a brilliant race. And that's before you get to the Fortria chase. Seven runners, including Fernie Hollow. We haven't seen him much. He's been very fragile, but he has considerable ability. He's rated the same as Captain Guinness, but a lot of people will have him much shorter in the betting. Andy Dufresne and Riviere to tell in there as well. But this weekend, the jumping is real. Cheltenham is on tomorrow, but the domestic action here at home is top-notch. So if you can't get there, do tune in. Okay, great stuff. Jane Mangan, thank you very much. That's all we have time for. The official chat show is up next with Blonde and Tracy from all of the game on team. Have a great weekend. It's bye for now. 2FM